Amen. Well, we're going to continue looking tonight at the Christian at War. I mentioned at the outset, it is a little different approach than I normally take. I like taking a passage of Scripture, a pericope, a unit of thought, whether that's 10 verses, 15 verses, 5 verses, and looking at, at that in an expository fashion. That's not what we're doing here, okay? This is looking at each one of these pieces of armor and then examining, examining that in light of what other passages have to say about that topic, whether it's righteousness or peace or faith or, or whatever. So a little different approach. And I want you to also keep in mind what may have been the inspiration for uh, Ephesians being a captivity letter. Uh, Paul, during his first imprisonment, he's chained to a Roman soldier. And so he would have been seeing an example right in front of him of the different armor that the soldier had on. But probably even more than that, what Paul is doing and what the apostles in the New Testament often did, he's quoting from the Old Testament. This image right here, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, and so forth, is found in the book of Isaiah. So, no doubt, that is also the motivation and inspiration behind this passage. Let's read it again, beginning in verse 10. He says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming airs of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. There are several points I want to recap uh, before continuing tonight with this subject matter. We've pointed out that we need to understand that spiritual warfare is not a subset of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. Jesus said in this world you'll have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. You know, somebody might say, well, I just want to live the Christian life. I want everything to be good and comfortable, and I don't want to face trials. I don't want to face an enemy. I don't want to face hardships. Well, folks, we don't get that option. We don't 
option. There's no way that we can live out the claims of Christ in an unbelieving world where again we see the work of the enemy and not face opposition and trials. But it is encouraging to know that God wants us to be strong. We are to be strong, not in our own strength. This is a battle that we can't tackle on our own. No human is adequate for it. We need God's strength. Again, Paul reminds us we do have an enemy and he has his methods or his schemes. And he also points out when he says in the evil day, the implication is some days are harder than others. But again, God wants us strong. God wants us strong in Christ. And God wants us armed. You know, in heaven we read in the Bible in various passages about believers being in robes, clothed in robes. Robes of white or robes of glory. and uh, The Bible speaks of different crowns that will be given to the saints of God and we will reign with Christ. So that will happen one day. But for now, we don't have robes. We need armor. We need armor. And so we are to put on the full armor of God. A soldier back then, a soldier today, wouldn't even think of going into battle just taking a single piece of his armor or equipment with him. He would want to take everything at his disposal. And so that's how we're to be in spiritual battle. We're not to pick and choose which pieces of armor to put on because God gives us each piece for our protection and for the advancement of the gospel. Well, with that said, let's move on tonight to talk about what's next in our list. He, he mentions the shield of faith. And Paul says here, above all, or in addition to all, take up the shield of faith. Faith is obviously very critical in the Christian life. Now, you know, it can be amusing that... Some people have Christian uh, have problems with the Christian faith while believing just about anything else. In a survey done back in 19, December of 1996, 10% of the people said that they believe that Elvis Presley is still alive and walking the earth. 10%. 30% said they believe in reincarnation. 39% believe in ghosts. 53% believe that aliens regularly visit planet Earth and are among us. It's amazing what people will believe, and yet they won't believe God. Well, what are some things we could say about faith? First of all, I want to talk to you tonight about the importance of faith. The importance of faith. Faith is important all the time. And all the more knowing, again, that we're engaged in spiritual warfare. Paul talks about Satan flinging fiery darts at us. You know what that reminds me of? In the Old Testament, as the book of 1 Kings closes out, remember how uh, Jehoshaphat and Ahab are going to join forces. King of Israel and the king of Judah. 
And they're going to join forces to go out and battle the Syrians. You remember that story? And Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, you know, you wear, as you go out with your soldiers, uh, you wear all of your regal robes and all your attire that a king would wear. That's fine, but I'm going to go incognito. I'm going to be in disguise. And you remember what happened there? The forces began chasing Jehoshaphat, and he turns around and tells them who he is. You know, he, he knows they're not looking for him. And so about that time, one of the soldiers just indiscriminately takes his ear and fires it. And in a place on Ahab's body, he had the armor and he was in disguise, but in a joint of the armor where there was no protection, that arrow found him and pierced his flesh and went in him. And of course he was propped up in his chariot and fought the rest of the day and then he died and then they took the chariot down by the water. It says the water where the prostitutes would bathe and the dogs licked up the blood. Now who had told them that that was going to happen that way? Yeah. That he was going to die that way? Elijah. Elijah. So, I mean, God shot an arrow. Do you think that was coincidence that it happened that way? Absolutely not. Well, Scripture says that, you know, Satan has fiery darts. He says, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows, arrows of the evil one. And so we're to take up the shield of faith. Now, the Roman soldier had two different kinds of shields. One was small. It was about two feet in diameter, and it was a circle. And it would be strapped to the forearm with leather straps. The other was a large shield. And this is the word that Paul uses here for the large shield. Uh, that's what he's referring to in verse 16. It was about two feet wide and would be a little bit longer than four feet. So about two feet by four feet. And it was made of either steel or sometimes two pieces of wood that would be fastened together. And then what would they put on the outside of it? They would wrap it. In leather. And then right before battle, oftentimes, what would they do with those leather-wrapped shields? They would soak them in water. And that was because of warfare back then, how the enemy would shoot flaming arrows at you. And, and the leather would be thick enough wrapped around the shield that the arrows would stick in that and be extinguished. Sometimes they would shoot arrows around so... It would, you know, cause brush fires around the enemy troops. But anyway, it was, it was the long shield that would help uh, protect them. And Roman soldiers would carry these shields, and they would, they would line up in multiple lines, and they would put their shields touching right together. So, so a, Roman, uh, a garrison coming at you, a Roman garrison would just be a solid wall, line after line, of these shields, long shields, right up against one another, protecting, uh, protecting each 
soldier. Paul is saying we have an enemy who shoots flaming arrows at us. Let's think about that, what some of those things would be. Now, he doesn't tell us exactly, but we know that Satan hurls doubts at us, confusion. He tries to get us to doubt God's existence. You think with so much evil in the world that there's actually a God is what he might try to convince some people of. He'll try to make us doubt God's love. Do you think God loves you after what you've done in your life? you think he'll forgive you? He'll make us doubt God's word, just like he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. He might try to get some people to doubt the way of salvation with all the billions of people on planet Earth. Do you actually believe there's only one way to God? You know, he'll, he'll sling all these fiery darts at us. He tries to make us doubt that God's really interested in looking after us or that even if he is interested, he tries to make us doubt that maybe God can look after us. God's not going to help you in that job situation. Who are you kidding? God's not going to help you in your marriage. God's not interested in you. Who do you think you are? Just on and on, some of these fiery darts being hurled at us. And so again, Paul says we need to take up the shield of faith so that we can extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I think also about Abraham in the Old Testament. He had, taken, he had just taken 318 servants and he had gone out and rescued Lot. And he had defeated those four kings who had raided Sodom. It was a great victory in the life of Abraham. But immediately we're told that Abraham became afraid. He knew God was with him. He knew what he did was in obedience to God. But he grew afraid of being in that area. He feared retaliation. He feared for his life. And it was right smack dab in the middle of that while he was in the center of God's will that he grew fearful. That's, isn't that just like what Satan does? And what did God do? What did God remind Abraham of? Abraham, I am your shield, your reward and your shield. We need the shield of faith. Trust in God. He's able. Well, not only the importance of faith, let's talk about the identity of faith. And turn with me over to Hebrews for a moment. Hebrews chapter 11. You probably know the chapter well. Hebrews chapter 11. And there in verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, look at the way faith is described there. Faith is confidence. Your translation may say faith is the substance of things hoped for. 
Now the word substance comes from the Latin sub, which means under, and the verb stare, meaning to, uh, to stand. So it literally means something under you upon which you stand, or something to stand upon. A good term for it would be foundation. Faith is something solid. Folks, when you and I live by faith, we're not walking on shifting sand. We're standing on solid rock. Because faith, Christian faith, is standing on the promises of God's Word. So faith is not some smoke and mirrors, hocus pocus. When you live by faith, when you're standing on God's Word as your firm foundation, you're not gambling. Faith is built on God's promises, and it's something you can rest your very eternity upon. It's the substance, the foundation, the writer says, of things hoped for. And folks, in the Bible, hope in God's provision is not mere wishful thinking. It, hope in the Bible is a sure thing because God has said so. We still hope for it. We long for its consummation. But we're not hoping in the sense maybe it's going to happen, maybe it's not. We're sure it's going to happen, but we're still living in hope until that day where we see by sight what we can only see by faith now. Faith is also the evidence of things not seen. The word evidence means legal proof or conviction. And let me help you understand this a little bit, maybe. In the Bible, you know, we're told, obviously, about eternal things. I think of the Gospel of John, uh, how Jesus came performing signs and miracles that they might believe that he is the Son of God. In John's Gospel, the word for miracles was signs, simeon. They were visible signs that they could see. Now, Jesus didn't want them just seeing the miracle, chasing after the miracle, and stopping right there. What were they to do? The miracles John records in John's Gospel that Jesus did were things that the people widely believed only God can do those things. And so if this man Jesus is doing things, signs, Simeon, that only God can do, then who must he be? He must be God. And that's what they were supposed to see. They weren't just to chase after Jesus for the sake of miracles. They would see the visible. They would see the temporal. But they were to look beyond that to see the invisible, the eternal. That was the purpose. And folks, that's faith. Faith is not a leap in the dark. Some people, tragically, are like the little boy in Sunday school. When the teacher asked, what is faith? The little boy said, faith is believing something that you know is not true. <laughs> well, that little fella had it just the opposite. Faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. 
but it's believing because of the evidence. Faith is the conviction that what God has said will in fact come to pass even though we've not seen it yet. Now today we have the benefit of seeing in the word of God that every time things of the past, every time God said he would do something that he did, we read about those things that he did on the pages of scripture. And you know what? That ought to give us confidence that the things that are not fulfilled yet, the things that aren't consummated yet, that God has said he's going to do, we have confidence of knowing he's going to do those things. Just like the things we can see in the Bible that he said was going to happen, and it did happen. Reading those things and how God fulfilled his promise gives us confidence that what he hasn't done yet, that he's promised he's going to do. God's past activity assures us of his future activity. Again, that's faith. Trusting God. So even though Satan may come and try to make you doubt that God will do what he says, you and I are to trust God. Just look at God's record. And, and we will have the conviction of things yet future that we cannot even see yet. That's the shield of faith. Well, let's think about, thirdly, the application of faith. We know that faith is involved in our conversion. Turn with me just back a few pages to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. 8 through 9. Paul says, Therefore it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Listen to what he's saying there. It, it's not faith itself that saves us. You know, there's a, there's a whole brand of Christianity out there they even have their preachers on TV that lead you to believe what you need to have faith in is faith. Have faith in faith. But faith is not the object of our faith. Christ is the object of our faith. It's by grace through faith, Paul says, that we're saved. And in Ephesians 2.8 it's very clear. Even the faith to believe. Everything Paul is talking about there. Even the faith to believe is the gift of God. So that all human boasting is erased. But again, faith has to be in a worthy object. And Christ is the only worthy one. You know, every day people have faith in certain things, right? You can have faith in your breaks that maybe you haven't had service. You're going down a mountain that, hey, they're going to stop you, and they might fail. They weren't worthy of that kind of faith. I think of a, a true story in April of 1988. The Evening News reported on a photographer who was a skydiver. Uh, he was from Durham, North Carolina. This, this was something that took place right here in our home state. 
He had jumped from a plane along with numerous other skydivers and he was filming the group as, as they were falling up to the time that they would each open their, their parachutes. And on the film, shown on the telecast, as the final skydiver opened his chute, the picture sort of went berserk. And the announcer reported that the cameraman had just fallen to his death. They said, they said in his excitement to take the picture, he dreamed of being the best skydiving photographer ever. And in his excitement to take pictures of these other divers, he failed to put on his own chute. So not until the final diver had, had popped his chute did the cameraman, they said, you can see him reaching with his left hand for the pull cord, and he realized he didn't have it. And there he was, 150 miles an hour going to the earth. He had faith in a parachute that wasn't there. Again, only Christ is worthy of our faith. You know, Hebrews 7.25 says, He is able to completely save those who come to God through Him. Yes, He is able to save completely, Hebrews 7.25 says, those who come to God through Him. Trusting Him in Him alone, that's faith. Faith says, I believe what God's Word says about Christ, who He is, what He's done for me. And we exercise faith. We're not saved by faith, Ephesians 2, 8 says. We're saved by grace through faith. As somebody has well said, faith is the wedding ring that unites us to Christ. Dwight L. Moody once made a comment worth noting. He stated, some say faith is a gift of God, and that certainly is true. So to his air, yet you breathe. So to his bread, but yet you eat. So is water, but you drink. We're justified by faith. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So faith critical in our regeneration. But not just in our regeneration or our conversion. But folks, faith is also critical in our consecration, our growth. And that's also what it means to take up the shield of faith. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh. What's he going on to say there? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that I now live in the flesh, Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God. So it's not just something that's exercised back at our conversion, but our everyday consecration. Romans 1.17, Paul quotes Habakkuk, saying, the just shall do what? Shall live by faith. 
Faith isn't something we just talk about. Faith is to change the way that I live. I read this story. I couldn't verify a footnote on it. I, I like to have a footnote and know the source. And, my, and I couldn't do that here. 1958, America's first commercial jet air service began with the flight of the Boeing 707. That changed air travel forever. 1958, the Boeing 707. A month after that first flight, a traveler on a piston engine, propeller-driven DC-6 struck up a conversation with a fellow passenger. The passenger happened to be a Boeing engineer. The traveler asked the engineer about the new jet aircraft, whereupon the engineer began speaking at length about the extensive research and testing that Boeing had done on the new jet engine before bringing it into commercial service. When his traveling companion asked him if he himself had flown on the new 707 jetliner, the engineer indicated that he had not and he was not going to for a while. He said he was going to wait and see what the track record would be on it first. <laughs> and this was somebody who had worked on it. You see, he could talk about it, but he wasn't willing to try it yet. And that's how we can be with faith. We can talk about it, but the Bible says the just shall live by faith. In fact, in Hebrews 11, going back to Hebrews 11 that we turned to a moment ago, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's what? It's impossible to please God. For he, something very logical here, for he who comes to God must believe what? That he is. That he's there. And he rewards those who seek him. You know, Jesus was often disappointed in the disciples or in the masses because they didn't always believe in him. They didn't always trust him fully. Even the disciples sometimes struggled with this. They had come to believe upon him. And yet, knowing that, some of them still doubted at times, right? Even in the upper room. Thomas, I think of Thomas. Unless I see, I won't believe. I think of Peter stepping out of that boat. Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you. He steps out of the boat, begins walking. And then his, eye, his, eye, his eyes are caught up with the waves. And he begins to sink. And Jesus grabbed him and said what? Oh, you have a little faith. Why did you doubt? It must be a disappointment to God when, when we know to live by faith, but then we don't. You know, the people in the Bible were never disappointed when they lived by faith. I think of Abraham. It didn't make sense on a human level to leave his father's homeland and go to a new country. But he did it. He did it. 
And as he obeyed and went, as he walked by faith, he saw God provide for him and do everything God said he was going to do. Sarah, a baby at my age, she says, you've got to be kidding. She laughed. But God did exactly what he said he would do. Noah, Noah had never seen rain yet. And he was building that ark. Again, from human logic, didn't make sense, but he did it. Imagine the ridicule that he went through. Peter says in 2 Peter that the whole time he's building that ark, he's also a preacher of righteousness. He was being mocked too. But then he got on the ark when God closed him and his family members on the ark. Folks, do you realize what the Genesis account says? It still hadn't rained yet when God got on the ark and shut him in. Had not seen rain yet. Had not rained yet. And they got on that ark. God shut him in yep. for a week, a solid week. What must have been going through their minds during that period? How about the walls of Jericho? I mean, you're, you're in the company of believers there. You're the men and you're being told just to march around the city. March around it every day. March, march. And on that seventh day, you know, keep, keep going and then what? Shout. And the walls are going to come tumbling down. You might have been thinking, hmm, I've certainly never done battles that way before. Just marching and then yelling day after day after day for seven days and then yelling and the walls come tumbling down. Every time in the Word of God when the people could have grown discouraged and God told them what to do and they obeyed, God blessed them. God did what He had promised He was going to do. And so Paul is saying here, you're engaged in spiritual warfare. You can't help it. That's part of living in a fallen world. We're not fighting merely against human flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces in high places. And so he says you need to take up the shield of faith. And with that shield of faith to extinguish the darts, the flaming arrows of the evil one. He's already said, belt of truth. The belt of truth, God's truth. Put that on. Then the breastplate of righteousness. We are righteous through God's imputed righteousness to us. We're made righteous through Christ, what He's done. And then we're to live out that righteousness. Because we have been made righteous through Christ, we live out that righteousness, showing the world that we're God's children. Then the shoes with the peace that He talks about. Peace with God, again, through Jesus Christ. Only through Christ can we have peace with God. And then we're to live out that peace that we have with God. Not only live it out, but we are to be like that runner in the Roman armies who would run into neighboring towns and announce the victory. That's the image Paul has in Romans 10 about how beautiful are the feet of those who come preaching the good news. We're like those running with that message of peace.
to others who don't know. And now he says we're to take up the shield of faith to extinguish the darts, the flaming arrows of the evil one. We must live by faith. Again, a faith that's a gift to us in our salvation. And we enjoy that salvation God's given us. But we're to live it out every day. We're to live by faith, trusting God's word, that he is true to his word and true to his promises. And what he's told us, he will do. It doesn't matter how discouraging, how evil, how wicked, how violent the world may get around us. God's told us all of that, this in his word. And he's told us it'll be difficult for the Christian. But he's told us also there's a better day coming where he's going to make all things new. So don't give up in the battle. Don't grow discouraged. Don't ask, is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. Take up the shield of Maybe I'm talking to somebody tonight who's begun to look only at your circumstances and you've begun to think your circumstances are hopeless. Again, take up the shield of faith. God tells us that through trials, through hardships, that He's going to make us stronger. He may not remove the hardship or the trial. He'll make you stronger through it. But you need to look to Him and trust Him. Maybe I'm talking to somebody whose marriage or family life is tough and Satan would say, just run, get away from it. But God says what man, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Whose way are you going to choose? Choose God's way. Take up the shield of faith. Maybe you have failed to tug at your heart for ministry or missions and Satan says, you can't do that. Look at you in this stage in your life. You can't afford something like that. You have a family. You have bills. And God says, yeah, you've got to look after your earthly commitments. But you trust me and follow me. And I will provide for all of your needs. Folks, how are we going to live? Are we going to look at the difficulties around us, the hardships around us? Are we going to look at what everybody else is doing? Or are we going to take up the shield of faith and say, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do it your way. You may not see the reward today or tomorrow. You may not even see it in this lifetime. But you will see it. God is true to his word. Take up the shield of faith. Any questions? Any comments? We'll go to the Lord in prayer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, when he talks about marching, he talks about marching around the Jericho mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Usually when we talk about that, and then military and stuff, we're talking about people who are doing it to a cadence. Mm-hmm. And your feet strike at the same time. Right. Well, there's this thing in the military called break step march, okay? It's where you don't do it like when you cross a bridge, for example. Mm-hmm. And it's because it has something to do with the fact that 
every structure that's made has a vulnerability of uh, a pitch that makes it vulnerable. Hmm. And, you know, you don't want oh, That's a great book to always read around Easter. 
the events leading up to Easter. <coughs> He made gravity. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, so not not like gravity, but faith like that, but greater than gravity. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I know what, what they were saying. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, explain faith to a child. I'll tell you what I would do on their level. I would just I would start reading scripture to them. Again because what's Romans 10 say? Faith comes by hearing. That's my blood sugar's high and I can't do a thing about oh, it. Okay. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I would just constantly read scripture a little child. And over time, God's going to grow, grow that faith in them. You know how a small child has faith in their mother. Like when I was little, everything had been falling down around me, but I knew even if my mom wasn't there that she was on her way somehow. You know, explain to the child that has faith. You know, when you fall sure. skin your knee and she can't hear you, she knows something's wrong. She's not there. She'll make it better when you come in contact. Certainly. Good analogy. We have a heavenly father, a heavenly parent. Well, we do. Yours is too young for this, but when they were like three, four year old, we blindfold them. And we tell them to walk around the room, and then we tell them, we put a chair right behind them and say, sit down. And so many kids will not do it. You know, at just explaining the concept of what faith is. And they won't feel it until they back up and feel that chair touch their leg. Then they sit down and I'm like, you didn't have faith in me. You know, and then they start understanding, oh, that's what, what faith is. Is sitting down and totally trusting what I'm telling them to do. Same thing with God. And, and that would really be a case of faith because if you had Gavin as your dad, <laughs> trust him and sit down, I mean, that really would take faith. <laughs> well, you were saying that uh, past activity assures of, us of God's future activity. I was thinking of a, in Psalms where it says, uh, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. And the world, the world is saying, uh, show us and then I'll believe. And God, God is saying, believe and I'll, I'll show you. Yeah. And, you know, like you say, without faith it's impossible. So we've got to take the first step. And, you know, sure. you know, God will uh, show us and we'll go from faith to faith because of 
like you say, that's so true. Past activity assures us of God's future activity. But you get to take it one step at a time, and you got to taste. You, know, you got to say, if you, you feel God's speaking to you, you got to say yes. <laughs> and then that's going by faith. And then see, oh, well, you know, that, that was God. And sometimes we say yes when we're not supposed to, and then, oh, that, that was bad. <laughs> so, yeah. Amen. Go from faith to faith to faith. Yeah. And God, God uh, will show himself to you in, di in, di in different uh, circumstances.